that the name of Jesus every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And your name is everything to us. The power, the glory, everything that you give us, everything that we could be, everything that we are, is through your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's Him that we give glory and praise in our worship this morning. And may that be acceptable in your sight, we pray, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. So given that I uh, spent last week on an Air Force base, I believe that it would be irresponsible of me not to uh, mention the news that has uh, captured our attention all, all week long. There's a balloon that's traversed our entire country. And the payload of this balloon is about 120 feet long. Right? That's pretty sizable. That is actually only about 10 yards shy of half a football field length. So that'll give you maybe some idea as to why the uh, Pentagon had reservations about shooting the thing down. Uh, Although they finally did. Incidentally, it was reported over Montana. I'm assuming uh, that that's because somebody saw it. Because they've been tracking that thing since it was over the Aleutian Islands in Alaska. And I'm not making a pro or con statement about that, because I'll tell you uh, that our space force is highly competent, intelligent, and intentional. Our Air Force shot it down precisely where they wanted to. But it would be not very responsible of me to mention a couple of other things. One, this weather balloon, weather balloon, Flew over Fort Greeley, Malmstrom Air Force Base, Ellsworth Air Force Base, Whiteman Air Force Base, Fort Campbell, Fort Bragg, Camp Lejeune, and others. If you didn't know that, you do now. Uh, And those are some of the most highly sensitive places that we have, not just in this country, but in the world. Now... Everything, of course, was buttoned up by the time they got there. It's not like it just showed up. They had a warning about this. But you could still imagine the level of sophistication that's in this. You know, you could put a lot of stuff in 120 feet, okay? But regardless, how do I know that? And this is the point. It actually doesn't have much to do with the balloon at all. How do I know this? And, and how do I know what I know And how does that fit into this message? Uh, It's so, uh, one, because of the national interest, but but two, it's because of the Internet. I looked it up. All the information that I just gave you, you can go out and you can find on the Internet. That thing is amazing. Some of you may be looking at it even now. I mean, my Bible gives me grief if I can't even sign on. Not, my, not the written, uh, but the electronically sort of written, in, you know, like, like my phone. And, and the options out there are almost 
uh, limitless. In the age of technology that we have at our fingertips, in fact, on my drive to and from Maxwell, I was able to order Siri about, if I say, hey, and then her name, things happen. Take me here. Take me there. What do you know about this? Tell me about that or whatever. Uh, Our cars, many of them will beep if you stray out of your lane. And not only beep, some of them will jerk you back in your lane and it's like, whoa. I mean, that takes some getting used to. But what an age of technology we live in. It's about information. It's about knowing where to go for information. It's about knowing what to seek when you're looking at the place that is the repository for that information. When Barb was in the hospital a couple of weeks ago, I sat with her and we're watching TV and there's this whole uh, channel that's dedicated to game shows. Some of you knew that. I don't know. I didn't know that, but there they are. And this thing called Cash Cab uh, came on. So this is a this is like a game show where if you get right answers, you get a free ride. Not only that, if you get enough right answers, you get a lot of money. Uh, fairly significant. It's an, it's an amazing thing. And there are times when if you don't know the answer, you can phone a friend. You know, you, as long as you know who to call, you can uh, get information, maybe a family member or a friend. And they, they time it. They got it timed pretty good because they know everybody has internet. How long does it take to look this up on the internet? They give it a little shorter than that. So you really have to know the answer. I mean, Remember the days, some of you won't, that blows me away, but remember the days when you had to go to a library and look it up in a book. In my office, if you care to ever go in there and look, in my office uh, to pay homage to the Encyclopedia Britannica, I have the entire set, which I have not looked at in several decades, but they sure are pretty you know, and so th- there's information and there's still good information uh, in there. But I wouldn't know where to go to look unless I had other information me telling, uh, telling me where I should go and what I should look for. I mean, uh, you, you look at a compass, for example, True North. It gives you a direction. Uh, on the Internet, the more specific you are, the uh, better chance you're going to have to find what you're looking for, and you don't have to go through mountains and uh, valleys, like if you're using a compass out in the wilderness, you know, metaphorically speaking, or maybe not, piles of uh, mountains of data and, and piles of uh, information, just hoping to stumble across the destination or the information that you want. This quest for information and repositories for information is common to humanity and has been since creation. In the time of Christ and on our text this morning, we're going to find some people who are searching for something. I don't even think they knew what they were searching for, but they went to the right place. Turn with me, if you will, to John 1, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, just a few short verses, uh, verses 35 through 39. 
in the uh, ESV reads this way. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. For it was about the tenth hour. What are you seeking? Uh, Zeteo, the word there, is the same word that's used in Matthew 7, where it reads, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. I mean, to seek in biblical usage has this notion, reasoning with someone, thinking, meditating, and inquiring after something. These, in fact, are the first words of Jesus that are recorded in the book of John. And they're some of the most profound words that have ever been spoken. When Jesus noticed John the Baptist's disciples following him, I mean, see how this plays out. It's a wonderful story. There's so much in this little vignette that we cannot tap the depths of it. We'll get to some places. Jesus is walking by and John says, Behold the Lamb of God. So two of John's disciples uh, follow right after him. This is kind of a little aside here. But in in my thinking, uh, what John the Baptist was doing as the one who prepared the way of uh, the Lord was announcing to his disciples, my work is done in that regard. This is the one you are free to follow. I must uh, decrease, he must increase. He was freeing his disciples to follow uh, Jesus. And then uh, Jesus turned around and he waited. He turned around and he waited for them to get to him. This is more of a, a devotional thought than an exegetical one. But isn't it wonderful to think that Jesus will not outpace you? He does not get so far ahead of you to wear you out to make it difficult for you to keep up. He will stop. He will wait. He paused. He turned around. He waited for them to catch up. Then he welcomed them with the question, What are you seeking? A very simple but deeply, profoundly layered uh, question that would appeal to, I think, the most unassuming of minds, but also to the deepest uh, thinkers among us. Words that, that have the, the power to burn away the superficial. Inviting, but gentle and firm. Uh, those kind of words just clear everything out of the way. What are you uh, looking for? So we can have a genuine exchange. Um, 
in, in some ways, I suppose, was Jesus was asking them, do you have a clue? Do you have any idea of not only who I am, but where this is going to uh, take you? We see in other passages that a lot of the disciples did not, and they ended up abandoning him as the time passed. Do you realize that you're leaving John, something that you know, you're following me, something that you don't? I, I find this so refreshing that in this first encounter, the Lord deals with us where they had the questions. They had the questions, but Jesus, he's the one who asked them a question first. It, the Lord wants to know. He wants to know about you. What are you seeking? In fact, the truth is, he's asking you that question right now. What are you seeking? How would or better will you answer him? Some of you may be able to formulate something in your mind even, even at this uh, moment. But his question had no tone of annoyance. There was nothing in it about worry or that you're, you're bothering me in some way. And the question isn't purely like transactional, like you would have at you know, Home Depot when you're standing there staring at 10,000 nuts and bolts and you don't know which one and the, the guy comes up or the gal comes up and says, may I help you find something, you know, and you're just like glazed over. You don't know what, you don't know, uh, looking blankly at this thing. No, this is a an existential question. And it challenged the hearers to consider what their life purpose was. This was no small decision. These were disciples of John and they were changing, they were changing their affiliation. But I, again, I don't even think uh, they know. Why, I mean, why would I think they didn't know what they were looking for? Because I, at least at times, all of us don't even know what we're looking for. If we think that our heart is crystal clear all the time, uh, we're, we're wrong because it is not. It is deceitful. It's an, amazing, it's an amazing thing. And so what were they seeking? I mean, were they seeking the Lamb of God that would overthrow the Roman yoke? The, the, the Lamb of God that would gather together the army of God and just blow everything out of its way and restore Israel to its former glory? What were they seeking? Did they want to be the first lieutenants in this army? Were they seeking power? Were they seeking prestige? And remember the sons of thunder. You know, Lord, you know, when you come into your kingdom, got one, one on the right and one on the left. What were they seeking? The, the feeding of the 5,000. Were they seeking a king who would feed them and that, where they didn't have to work? Were they seeking adventure? Were they seeking escape? Did they just have a bad home life that they wanted to get away from? What are you seeking? What do you seek? That's a tremendous question. Is it money? Is it health? Is it love? Is it peace? What do you seek? I mean, even if they said they sought the Messiah, I don't believe that they would even know what that meant. But they would learn. But I do have the presumption 
It's not even a presumption. There's evidence for it. So I do believe they were seeking. I mean, after all, they were with John in the wilderness. And this is a guy who wore camel hair and ate locusts and honey. So they had already left whatever semblance of life they had. They were on the path, but they were yearning for something uh, different. I mean, the idea of searching not only is not foreign to us, I think it's one of the principal drivers in our life where we look. I love the way uh, in, the, in uh, Australia they put it. They, you go on walkabout. Why do you go on walkabout? Right? It's, you're, you're trying to clear your mind. You're trying to search for meaning and purpose. Why am I here? And I believe that it was just as diverse then as it is today. I take some of my cues from Viktor Frankl. He argued that people not only long for purpose and meaning, but in order to live, they must have it. Their lives depend on it. So these two disciples are seekers. And we are seekers as well. Every time we open the Bible, every time we look into the Bible, every time we come here, we are seeking uh, something. We're seeking the Word of God. We're seeking the relationship that we can have with God. We're seeking something in worship. Even if it's so ephemeral, even if you, you can't put your finger on it, you know there's something there. There's something more. And it allows us to be open to God in the experiences and knowledge that He places uh, before us. So I'm going to lose a few of you now. Some I'm going to I'm going to gain, and I don't know who's who, but some of you've heard of the musical group U2, the rock and roll band U2. What you may not know, or perhaps more than U2, Bono. And so uh, three of the members of U2, uh, Bono, the guitarist, The Edge. I mean, how what a cool name that that's. I don't know what his real name is, but the drummer, uh, Larry uh, Mullen uh, Jr., were all members of a Christian rock and roll band called Shalom. That's where they got their start. And for uh, The Edge and Bono, at least, what happened was their faith was becoming inconsistent with rock and roll. And so they went to their manager and they said, listen, this is not an important enough way for us to spend our lives. Uh, we're going to get out. We're going to find uh, something else. So it, they were right on the brink of this Christian band, on the brink of like really breaking uh, through before they came. You uh, too. I'm going to read the quotes on this because it's a fascinating discussion. This is a, a, a summary, but this is what Bono said in a radio interview. Paul, uh, Paul McGinnis was their manager. Paul, we're done. We actually want to do something useful with our lives, and eh, rock and roll isn't it. And, and so Bono recounted, uh, and he's like, oh, so God tells you to do this? And, and we said, well, no, not exactly, but we're, we're deeply convicted here about this. And so he said, well, then, uh, you know, in your conversations with God, would you mind speaking to him? 
uh, about the commitments I've made on your behalf uh, to do another tour. (laughs) And so they stayed in. They stayed in. And one of the things that they uh, wrote is intended to be a contemporary hymn. Not for the church. I mean, not not for this august body here, but for the world out there. And it's a song entitled, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. It's a song about the search for meaning or transcendence. And the song is not about the finding, but the pursuit of it. And he's not talking about finding Jesus Christ. He's talking about finding what we would uh, refer to as this heavenly uh, state. It's an eschatological song. And John uh, Perellis, the chief pop critic for the New York Times, said this. The song's power comes from how uh, Bono lingers on one word, still. And the genius of the chorus is in its two first words. And there's a leap from, I still haven't found. So this still, I still haven't found, I haven't arrived yet, is talking about this deep uh, search that he, he has. He's looking for something. I believe that at least in spirit, this is what John's disciples had. They had a burning searching heart and they were searching and longing for something they couldn't find. And then John says, behold the Lamb of God. Now we don't have a recording, right, of of what happened. All what we have is the text. The Holy Spirit chose the words that he wants us to have. But one of the things that, at least from a textual perspective, they never answered the question. They never answer. I mean, if you look at the text, he says, what are you seeking for? And they never answered. And I go back to, I don't even think they knew what they were looking for. They just knew they were in the pursuit of something. And I don't think, honestly, that we need to either. I don't think you have to have clarity on everything before you either come to Jesus Christ as your Savior or you walk with Him as your Savior. He meets you. He pauses. He waits for you where you're at to walk what? Alongside of you. I can tell you what we're all looking for no matter how it's phrased or how it's placed and how it's lived out in our life and that is we're looking for Something that will fill this hole in our souls and that is a right relationship with God. Even if we don't recognize it. So how did they reply? They said, uh, they called him rabbi. Uh, So in this, what was happening there, just to give you some cultural definition to this, they were moving into a relationship with him. You didn't call just anybody rabbi. It's not like sir. It's not like ma'am. This is a word that is designated for your teacher, even though it's translated that way. And we'll see how John does that. That's not the any way the full... That's like saying shalom means peace. It does mean peace, but it means a whole lot more. And in the Jewish mind... 
it means, literally it means uh, the great one. So uh, Rab in Hebrew means the great one. Arabic, like Hebrew, they have suffixes to indicate possessive pronouns. So Rabak would be your great one spoken to a man. Rabik would be your great one spoken to a woman. Uh, Rabo would be your great one spoken to man. And uh, Rabha, not your great one, but his great one. And Rabha would be her uh, great one. And then you have uh, Rabi. Rabi means my great one. So you see how the endings change, but the first part of the word never changed? So Rabi means my. Uh, it's a possessive. Uh, my honorable sir, my master. It was the word used to address teachers. Now one of the reasons, why would I go through this? None of us are learning Arabic. I mean, maybe some are, but that's not the reason I did it. Is because if you look at the text, John assumed that nobody knew what he was talking about. See the little parentheses there? And it says, which means teacher. So if he can take the liberty to explain the word, I just took a little bit of liberty to explain the word in order to explain more some of the fullness of it. In other words, it is a... In other uses, it's a term of endearment. In other words, mine. This is mine, and it shows this relationship. They declared him to be their teacher, and they took their place as his uh, students. I think mentor probably comes closest to it in the uh, English language. It wasn't simple curiosity that they had. They didn't want... An acquaintance. They didn't want a dinner with him. They didn't say, oh, let's go pick Jesus' brain. That's not what this was about. Maybe he's got a few gems of wisdom for us. No, they were going to go live with him. And, and in fact, that's what they asked. <laughs> Where are you staying? Now, as this transpires, I want to go back to John the Baptist here for just a second because he's just such a wonderful, marvelous uh, person, character in, in the Bible, you can see, if you see the scene in your mind's eye, you can see Jesus and the two disciples, and you can see John the Baptist uh, receding in the distance. We've got a lot to learn from uh, John the Baptist uh, about this, because some people think that the people that they disciple in some way, like, belong to them or something. Yeah, they may have a connection, an emotional connection that you can't break. But then what happens is, is if they if they begin to be discipled by somebody else, there gets you know this this clingy thing and holding on, and and there's this emotional thing which is not healthy. You know, the spirit moves where it wills, and we don't know, we don't know when, we don't know where. All we know is that the movement and the growth that the Spirit brings belongs to the Spirit. Not to, you know what our role is? Our role is to introduce people to the Master, not, not be the Master. And if we see that we're holding on tightly to something like that, we should immediately go, ooh, I need to, I need to, loosen, I need to loosen that uh, grip. John was not angry. He was not uh, jealous that his disciples left him. He knew from the very beginning that he was going to pass this 
on. So the second thing uh, Jesus is recorded as uh, saying here, which I've mentioned before, uh, when they ask, where are you staying? He says, come and uh, see. Now, the interesting thing here, this is like, what are you seeking? Come and see is, is just like that, in that maybe they were asking, where are you staying? Where's your house? What's the address? Something along those lines, which, of course, uh, back in that day, uh, they would not have had. But what Jesus was saying was something else. It wasn't a physical place where I'm staying. It was come and see. And that was an invitation uh, how a rabbi would accept a student. That's, that was the language that rabbis would use. They would say to the student, come and see. And what that meant was, come live with me. Jesus didn't give any lectures. He certainly taught, but that's not what he was doing. What he was doing was he was inviting them into his life. I can say with some degree of confidence that the best teachers that you've had were the ones who did not tell, yell, command, or demand as it related to content, even though they may have done those things as a part of concern and relationship with you. That you knew that they cared. You knew that there was life here. Come and see Jesus said to those disciples, ask your questions. Let me help you find out who I am. I mean, in that, it reminds me of, I think, one of the greatest evangelists. You may not think of it as an evangelist, but one of the greatest evangelists of the last century was uh, C.S. Lewis. Essentially, all of his books were an invitation. You want to know about Jesus? He was not a a, a, a trained theologian. But to say he wasn't a theologian would be a real mistake. He would say, come and see. You've got this question. Let's talk about it. Let's engage with each other about this. And it wasn't, you've got to do this and this and this and have all these prerequisites before you come. No, it was come, sit down, uh, let's talk. It was a relational sense with guidance and and disciplines and, and directions. And we, too, are invited. We don't have to push through other people at all. We don't have to pass a series of uh, prerequisites. All we need to do, once you feel the draw of the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God passes by, and you feel this uh, draw, you are invited to be in his presence. Come and see. There's no pressure in the words, there's no strings. It's a simple yet profound invitation to experience God, what he has done and what he has to offer. The invitation is his. He chooses the disciples, which is always his work. We're going to look at grace in John 6, but it says there, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him from my father. Now, when I was uh, looking, seeking, and that took a little while, but it it ultimately happened because I was in church every Sunday, every Sunday, every Sunday uh, as a non-believer. And so I get in there, and so this verse comes up, and I'm like, well, then, if, if I can't come to Jesus unless the Father draws me, what's the point? 
I mean, that's not, it's not on me, right? But here's the thing. If you're asking that question, the Father is drawing you. <laughs> you're already in the jet stream, so to speak. You're being pulled to Him. You're being invited And when we take the time to dwell in the presence of God, to immerse ourselves in the Word of God and His love and His grace, we will be changed. And that's just a wonderful thing. And we, we trust that as Jesus Christ, when we come to Him for salvation and we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit shows up and stirs stuff into us. And some of that... It's not just the knowledge of sin and that sort of thing. It's also deeper faith and understanding. And the revelations, they may be big, they may be small, but they will be consistent and they will come to us. God is working in you and me all the time, constantly. He's working in this community right here. And he's working in our world. And when we pay attention to that, it's impossible not to be inspired. It's impossible not to be transformed when we look into the face of Jesus Christ. Not long ago, we celebrated Christmas. It's February already. I'm I'm like, does this, this happened to me last year and the year before. It just, it's, it's like a fast, right? But most of the people who celebrate Christmas, as did I when I was growing up, had no idea what it meant. Not at all. It was just nice, pretty lights and trees and presents. And that's, that's what it was. And, but if you get into a discussion, that's what it is for most people in, in our context today. And if you talk to them and you started talking about Christ, and in Christmas, they would go, hey, you know, that's just a story. It's just a myth, and it's really not relevant to us uh, today. And, and we ask, okay, so what's the point of that story? The point is, is that they're, I don't want to say that they're wrong, but I would say that they're mis, misguided in this sense, because they're going to the wrong place and they're asking the wrong questions. Whenever you do anything, certainly any academic work, if you ask the wrong questions, you will get the wrong answers. They may be good answers, they may even be true answers, but if you ask the wrong question related to a particular problem or issue, you'll get the wrong answer. And Jesus, it's great If some of you have doubts, Jesus does not mind your doubts at all. In fact, he invites you. He invites you, come, come and see, walk with me and you will see. Hear him, look at him, open yourself to him and ask of him. John told us in his gospel that the word was made flesh, the Son of God, the Lamb, who would take away the sins of the world. Through Jesus the Messiah, God has come to rescue us from sin 
and darkness. So here, and this is where I would put all the weight of everything that I'm saying. The only way that you can know that Jesus is real is to walk with him. It's to respond to his invitation to come and see. See what Jesus means to you in your everyday life. Read the word of God. Ask him, and I even ask, Lord, in tangible ways, let me see your presence this day. No religious credentials you need. We're all invited to respond. Um, Even those who have been a part of the church a long time can forget this. We can, as we talked about in our Sunday school class, get caught up in all these activities in serving God and serving Jesus and not see the beautiful, straightforward invitation of what it means to be with Jesus. And that invitation is for you this day to be with Jesus, to trust Him, to walk with Him in such a way that when you come and see, you will realize that He has the power and the desire to save your eternal soul and to give you life everlasting. Father, we are grateful that we can be in your presence today. We are thankful that we can come together, that we can worship, that we can praise, that we can look into your word, that, uh, that you are here with us. Sensitize our hearts to be aware of your presence and walk with you through Christ our Lord. Amen.